You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. afternoon good morning good evening it's episode 41 of across the Riververse, where we will be going through mostly our preview to the europa league semi-final only the seventh european semi-final in roma's club history but first of all steve how are you i'm doing well uh like i mentioned to you prior to recording i didn't get to see the whole match essay i saw some of it after the fact but uh you know i guess it's about what we expect these days in Serie A, so i can't be too upset about it uh, I'm, you, you I, did, my focus is more on United, I guess, at this point. You decided to live a happy life and give yourself a happy <laughs> Sunday? Well, I had a family obligation and my, my wife's godson was uh, making his first Holy Communion yesterday. So uh, yeah. could, couldn't miss that. So Rome had to take a back yeah. seat for, for a week. Time, time well spent, time well spent. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm both happy, angry, and relieved at the same time. And I think, where, where, where should we unpack first? I think we're going to start with, with the anger, Steve. You're going to help me out here, because um, we've got a story from Corriere de la Sport today that's twofold. One is that they're saying the club, that they're reporting that the club has virtually struck up an agreement with Mauricio Sadi to become the next Roma coach. And uh, it's really just a case of dotting the T's and crossing the I's, not be done. And uh, on that front, We've uh, had some discussion on the forum today where I'm gonna, you're not going to even be able to expect where I'm coming from this. They didn't write this up in the notes. But I'm going to ask you. Uh, there's a guy who keeps talking about um, Mauricio Sadi and homophobia and his comments towards R- Roberto Mancini uh, in 2015-16 season where he called him a fracio, which in English is like a, a word that rhymes with maggot, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Uh, that, that's literally the, the only time that I found, like the only instant I found of, of Sally using what could be considered homophobic language. So, what 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 do we make of this issue? Is this is this something that really, um, you know, like uh, this person bringing this issue up? You know, I'm 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 not against them because they I think they're right in their intention in terms of they're saying you know we should not be okay with language that makes people feel excluded from the game, and I'm I'm on board with that totally, but. When it goes straight into territory of calling someone a homophobe repeatedly, I think that's kind of derailing the whole the whole issue in a, in a sense. So, I mean, how do you feel about it in terms of like, are you uncomfortable with with Sally's background and and how he, he might be a little bit old school with his language and insensitive? 
I mean, I, I definitely think sometimes, you know, guys from like a past generation where that language was kind of like the machismo language, where that was like an insult to another player, maybe uh, they have a different view of things. Like you said, maybe it's kind of an old school view. Um, you know, if it was a one-time thing that came out in the media, am I against him being Roma's coach? No. I mean, I would hope he would have learned his lesson from that. <clears throat> I think nowadays for, it's very... For, for just for the record, he, he did apologize to my team. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think I was, I was going to say too often, especially nowadays, we see this like kind of cancel culture. Someone makes one mistake with something as simple as that. And it's kind of like, you know, the end of that person's career. Uh, I don't think this deems that. And uh, I don't think it's a reason he shouldn't get a chance in Rome. If the freakings do eventually tab him as next Roma's coach, especially if he apologized and it was kind of done there. Uh, you know, it could have just been, like I had mentioned, one of those old school phrases that, you know, in the past might not have been as, uh, inappropriate, so to speak. And nowadays is as times have changed and people have become more accepting of others, you know, uh, sexuality and, and race and other things that we see would have been deemed, you know, you know, we still see Italy dealing with the racism issue, the same kind of thing where people from a certain generation need to kind of change their tune because they need to get with the times. And it seems like it could have been one of those things and it was a one-time thing. And hopefully it's done where, it, where, you know, it ended with the apology. Well, we, we still see, I mean, to, to sort of like give uh, our, our forum member the benefit of doubt, this guy who has an issue, a big issue with Sarri being a nice former coach. We, we still see Italy dealing with this uh, issue of excluding people based on sexual preference very dismissively. Well, maybe not very, but dismissively nonetheless, because there are a series of comedy skits that have come out since then on Roberto Mancini. And this was, he's, this was from a well-known comedian. I, his name escapes me right now, but he, he often does football impressions. He does Mancini, he does... Uh, Antonio Conte, he does. Um, he's even done the Massimo Ferrero, the Sampdoria owner. So like he he take he regularly takes the make out of football, um, and how it takes itself too seriously. But he got on this whole confrontation thing between like Mancini calling out Sadi at the time when he was very upset with him, and made a whole skit of that and really like um, dealt with it lightheartedly. And just and like there was a skit that literally that skit was where he he said he said Fraccio out loud. And the presenter that was interviewing him in the comedy skit, a fellow comedian herself, said, no, 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 you can't say this. And he said, what? Uh, I can't say Sunday because I, the, the, the line before that was like, we, we face into this Sunday or something like that. Uh, so like, it's basically like, you know, people would say, okay, uh, Italy still has a problem acknowledging the seriousness of some issues. Uh, that's, you know, that's, I can give someone the benefit of doubt that Italy has to change in that way. But what it makes me think of in terms of, this is, this is something that I tried to point out with this morning issue when the Claudia de Sport came up with the Black Friday article. Mm. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't bothered by that. You know, I'm, I'm someone from a mixed race background, from a minority background. I really wasn't bothered by that article because I knew deep down these guys weren't racist, right? Like they, they mm -hmm. published an article that was insensitive and, and totally out of touch and they should have apologized and they did, rightfully so. But I wasn't going to hunt them down and say they're racist because for me, that would take away attention from actually um, confronting people who do go out in the streets and, and actually do go and beat people up based on their background and, and their race, you know? Um, it reminds me, there's a there's a parallel to this in football where uh, Luis Enrique once got slammed by Western media because he was training Jose Antonio Reyes for Sevilla, no, for Spain, sorry, when he was Spain coach. And uh, he was, there was a match coming up against France and he was, he was trying to anger, like really like provoke Reyes against his Arsenal teammate, Jackie Henry at the time. 
and he said that uh, you have to go out like he was recorded on the microphone saying to Reyes you have to go out and you have to go out and get that get that negrito you know mm-hmm. and then like uh, obviously the British press British press jumps on this and says oh Reyes is okay with this coach being a racist you know like they're up there against Omi because he's black etc and then later on it comes out on uh Le Club du Dimanche. It's a well-known uh, show in France where they interview football players. And they, they interviewed Samuel Eto, who's like one of the, the black icons of football, really, in terms of what he's done for the sport. And he he trained under Aragones at uh, Mallorca. And they asked him, like, is it true that this guy's a racist? And Eto goes, no, 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 look, you could pretty much nail Aragones with any any accusation you want. Like, he, he was a very tough guy. He was an asshole. Um, he was hard on all his players equally. Um, you, you can call him anything you want except the racist. And Eto came up with examples of how, like, for example, Aragones was okay with uh, giving Eto uh, travel allowance because he had to do like round trips from Cameroon to Spain, etc. And how he, Aragones, phoned up for Needy George, um, who's a former player, uh, played for Ajax, and he was out of contract and really had nowhere to go. Aragones calls him up and says, Look, I'll give you a two year deal at Mallorca and you can play. Um, and you can train here. And this is just the point is that I'm, I'm, this is getting off the sorry thing. I, I don't, I'm not going to suggest that Sari goes out his way to, you know, to help people from, uh, you know, LBGTQ backgrounds. But Aragonas is someone who was literally, okay, in words, he was, um, his words were, could be seen as excluding people. But in, in his actions, he was actually giving people opportunities. Uh, that the actions count for more. For someone from minority background, mm-hmm. uh, that's all. That's the point I was making with the Chris Smalling article. Is please, when these issues happen, please give uh, the microphone and the spotlight to the people who are most affected by it. Yeah, you know? it's, yeah. It's uh, my my worry is that um, in Italy they call them the the perbenisti, the, the good willing types, like the goodwill to all people types, where those people take up the attention and spotlight, talking about what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. but then in action. That you know, you see very little from them. It doesn't yep. make it a difference, you know. Yeah, so that was my issue on that one. But second fault. This is what really got me angry, right? Um, and again, I totally respect people's opinions on this. But the second part of this Corriere the Sport article was about how Thiago Pinto has a plan to um, to like take the Roma Academy global. And we've seen this year that they've launched like the season Roma Academy in New York. Roma Academy, Accra, I think, in Ghana. Yeah, it's, it's going worldwide. But the concept is as old as time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a, another, another member on the forum who said that this is the way forward. They said, you know, appointing a new coach is a small piece of the puzzle. Roma has to go out and has to go out and sign young 12, 13-year-olds all over the world and really look for that, you know, essentially that next Messi. That's how Barcelona got Messi. They got young, right? Um, I think... This is just going back to what we talked about last week. Honest, when the Super League issue happened, we left so much off the table on the episode that we recorded, right? Um, but it just keeps coming up now, again and again. It's hitting me in the face. Um, my point is, I'm not, I'm not here to tell anyone how to feel about the issue because I, I knew if I'd reacted and got instinct about the issue, I would have come off like a holier-than-thou person. I'm, I'm really not feeling like that. I, my, my only point here is that we really we, we choose our comfort level with the Super League. Because we see that that the what it's proposing is already in action in football, right? This this whole thing about taking global cannabis around the world, it's just old empire mentality. 
mm. where you go, you go, you go to countries that you know, have gotten themselves in financial difficulty. You offer them a bunch of money, and you sign up their kids, and you say we're gonna we're gonna take the twelve and thirteen olds, and they're gonna do physical labor for us, and hopefully they're gonna make a lot of money. So what? And that's exactly what the, the concept of the Super League is about. Is like, well, why would these kids sign up for your club? Purely because of the brand. Your, your, your club has no affiliation with them locally, no ties to the community, doesn't recognize, doesn't, you know, doesn't have any kind of history there. And more, even more so, they're actually taking away talent from the local clubs. So the mm -hmm. local clubs are actually losing our transfer fees. Now, yeah. uh, is this the way forward for Roma, Steve? Are you okay with this? It, it's, it's, if you are, it's okay, but please explain why. I don't know if it's the way forward. Um, I, I know this is done by other clubs. Um, you know, I think Everton, I think, has like academies around. There's there's other teams that do it. Like you mentioned, Red, Barcelona. Red yeah, Red, Red Bull is all over the place. I know over here because I'm in New York. Uh, Red Bull runs tons of youth academies. But that is the local team here because the Red Bulls are our local team for MLS purposes. But yeah, yeah. Red Bull is buying clubs around the world. Not even uh, uh, just uh, youth academies. Uh, you know, they have Salzburg and Leipzig and Red Bull New York. And now they have one down in uh, Brazil too, I saw. So that's taken it to a whole nother level, I guess. And and they're, what, what they're doing, uh, now that you bring that up, is they're using basically like Red Bull New York and I'm sure the one in Brazil and uh, even Salzburg as feeder clubs for Leipzig at this point. Um, mm -hmm. Like Tyler Adams, one of the best US prospects, came up through the Red Bull New York Academy, played a couple seasons here, it was very impressive. Now he's, he's starting for Leipzig very often. Um, I, I know that they've, they're doing that with some other players too. You know, they'll even send them to Salzburg for a season or two. And then eventually if they're good enough, they'll move on to, uh, to Leipzig. So, yeah. So I, I guess, you know, Roma is not, uh, you know, by themselves in this endeavor, I could see why clubs would want to try to find players as young as possible, because like you said, uh, it's taken away the transfer fee aspect of it. If the, if the, 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 the kid turns out to be pretty good. Um, yeah. rather than coming through an academy in Argentina or Brazil or somewhere in Africa, uh, where when they're 18 to 20 years old and they're ready to make a jump to Europe, you have to pay 15, 20, or maybe more million euros for them. You're, you're doing it for a very marginal cost if the, the kid hits big, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's something about it that seems like you said, it's, it's a, a bit of imperialism in a sense, because you're taking kids out of their native land at a very young age. Now, now we're not talking about 18 year olds, you know? you know, we've seen 18 year olds yeah. jump to Italy and fail. And that's tough enough for an 18 year old kid to do that, I think. Um, yeah. But when you're talking about like 12 or 13 year old kids. Um, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I, I would imagine that there's they have those academies set up in those countries, right for a time, and then they would eventually make their way to Rome if they kind of progress. As I understand it, yes. Um, but it's it's nothing new. I mean, you you brought up last week the case of David David Petrucci, which mm -hmm. okay, it wasn't yep. grabbing a, a kid from abroad, but it was a similar setup in that they sweetened the deal with the family by giving yep. the dad a job. You mm -hmm. know, yeah, so you, you're locking in the family so that they're, they're dependent on you. You know, mm -hmm. um, so this has been this has been going on for at least a decade with Roman. I was just yeah. taking it, grow. and like you said, they're not the only club doing it at all. Yeah. Um, you know, my issue isn't with necessarily doing this model because if you do it right, you know, if you actually um, strike a balance where you give back to the local community and the club that you're affecting, um, then there's an argument you said that that's much better than doing nothing. You know, you actually you actually sharing global growth and, mm -hmm. and you're raising the level, you know, of, of world economy. But if it's done, for example, in a way that the original case study Lionel Messi was done, where like years and years and years later. After every new contract that Barcelona had handed Messi, 
they've had the opportunity every single time to recognize Newell's old boy's role in how rich they got from that deal. And yet still today, Lionel Messi's contract has a 700 million euro release clause and Newell's old boys would only be owed 0.35% of any eventual transfer fees on Lionel Messi. That's just exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely a complicated issue. Uh, um, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, come up with maybe what, what is the, the right or wrong way to do things on the fly. Um, you know, I hope if, if Roma does this, they do it right without like exploiting, you know, local talents and just kind of plucking kids from around the world and just bring them to Rome to then fail and then get sent yeah. packing with, you know, very little to their name and yeah. probably just oh, well, like... A, you're not- you're not messy. Pack it back out. Yeah, and you know, a, a, a kind of a broken education because yeah, you had tutors, but it wasn't you know in a in a way that would be productive for you when you return to your your native land. So hopefully, it's done the right way. Where if they are you know doing it, it's good for the local youth where they're setting up you know um, things that go beyond just those couple kids that might eventually make it, um, mm-hmm. and helping you know places that that maybe not in New York where there's you know a fair amount of wealth but maybe some of these other places that you mentioned like in in ghana um and you know hopefully they do things the right way hopefully they do it in an ethical way where like you said it's not like the messy situation where you just exploit new as old boys and they they see nothing for bringing messy up in the first place yeah. um yeah like like we just said again there's a there's a sound way to do this i'm not i'm not against the idea itself there's there's a there's a, a way to do it that could work but even then my my main point yeah, other than what I've already said, is that look, if you're listening and you're okay with the idea of Rome expanding this way, then please think about giving into partisan football sentiment that's been going on this week, where we, you know, we've been told we need to um, be against Juve, against Arsenal. Uh, we need we know, Juve fans don't appreciate Italian football. Juve fans are sellouts and all that stuff. Because if you're okay with this, you're okay with the Super League. This, this is this is the same concept. This is clubs going around the world, uh, using the power of their brand to take up, uh, sign up players uh, on, on no other basis other than financial opportunity and gain for everyone. That's what the Super League is about. But we'll move on. Uh, tied to this story is one of our listener questions this week from Mohamed Faraj that Steve brought to my attention. Uh, Mohamed asked Steve, who will be our coach next season by percentage? Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, if, if reports are be believed, the Saudi uh, percentage has to be pretty high at this point. I know there's no contract signed, but they're pretty close, according to at least the report. Um, I mean, as much as you and I have supported Fonseca along the way, I think his odds of returning are starting to get slimmer and slimmer uh, as the results go in the league, um, unless something happens in the Europa League to really make the freaking reconsider letting him go. Um, because he was hired by a different ownership, different uh, sporting director. I'm going to have to say Saudi's got to be pretty close to like 75, 80% at this point. If reports are to be believed, I give Fonseca maybe a 10 or 15% chance. Uh, and that's like, if he like can win the Europa league, because we know we're not qualifying for champions league through the league at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I guess I would give like a 5% chance to the field. Maybe there's some other candidates out there. If Saudi decides he doesn't want the job. But I, I think the um, highest percentage has to go Saudi's way. What do you think? I want to say I don't believe the timing of this story from uh, the CDS today. I, I definitely believe Saudi's in the run, but I don't believe that Roma's management will be that 
careless to be negotiating a contract with a new manager the week before the seventh European semi-final of the club's history. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point too because these these reports sometimes are so ill-timed. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah. This this is this is a report coming from the same paper that just got banned, like a press ban put on them from Roma for that Chris Morley event. So yeah, you know, ever since then, like the CDS has kind of like been looking for like hitting the front pages of the gossip column really rather than the sport pages. Yeah. Um I don't believe in the timing of it, but percentage-wise, I'm gonna say Saturday 60%. The only reason why I'm giving them less than Steve is because I think the chance of getting another manager in that we've never heard of before is, is much higher than than any of us want to believe. I'd probably give uh, an unknown manager a 30% chance, and then let's give 10% to uh, Allegri. Why not? I don't I don't give any chance to Paulo Fonseca because I feel like the way the team is playing right now, it's obvious that everyone around the club knows evidently that the club is moving on from him. So uh, what we see now is a a Roma team that just isn't playing for their coaching because they don't, they don't have to. It's on the way out. Mm. Um, but yeah, Sadi, Sadi definitely makes sense to me on, on a footballing level in terms of continuity because he's not a radical departure from Fonseca. Um, the, the edge that he gives over Fonseca is that he's a former Serie A winner. If he's signed, he'll be signed to like five million a year, which is twice as much as Fonseca was earning. So he has job security. And if the players don't want to play for him, then they'll be out the door. He won't mm. be. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think Sally makes sense. Uh, about we were just talking about players not playing for the coach, so it's a good time to recap Cagliari Roma. It just happened yesterday. Uh, Steve Steve sat this one out, but uh, the background to the trip to Sardinia was that Roma were in seventh at the time, and they're still after this match, but they are struggling more than ever to stay ahead of eighth place Sassuolo, who won their match uh, ahead of kickoff in uh, Cagliari, one nil against Sampdoria is what Salsolo brought home. So they're closing on a Roma now, breathing down the Jalos on X. And uh, Fonseca, before the match, greeted six players returning from injury into the squad, uh, citing that the most important returnees were Chris Smalling and Leonardo Spadzola. So it tells you everything about uh, his first 11 going into the United game. Uh, there's, right now, currently at the club, there's only Pedro, who's doing individual training for injury difficulty. And then, of course, there's Nicolò Zaniolo, who's a long-term ST, but so Roma would nearly a clean bill of health with the gigantic squad that they have. Um, heady days. And Roma also came back off the back of an uninspired one-all draw against Atlanta on Thursday. We hadn't had a chance to comment on that, but we probably won't be doing it. And uh, Cagliari, on the other hand, were buoyed by their barnstorming 4-3 winner for Parma last weekend, which was a really unmissable game. One of the the best surprise of the season, really. And then Palmer went ahead and, and lost 4-3 against Crotone this weekend as well. Um, Caddy, for their, for their part, were missing Alessio Cranio, Rajan Angelang, and Gaston Pereiro after their, their starting lineup. Even though Pereiro's, Pereiro's not a starter, but he's one of their most expensive players. But the final score on the day was Caddy 3, Roma 2. Another Roma loss. It makes Roma Roma's form is now one win in the last seven games in the league. And uh, really, the only key talking points we can bring you from this game are Carlos Perez and who who else might have stood themselves out in terms of having a chance to play against United on Thursday. But uh, Carlos Perez's thoughts was as individual as ever. It gave us some hope because he was alive. He looked he looked like the Spanish Messi of old. Um, but it was you know he barely had any kind of link up play with anyone apart from Borja Meral for a moment. Uh, most of it was just him grabbing the ball, running upfield, you know, closing down 50 yards of space, and then cutting in on his left foot and shooting at goal like we know he can do. 
Uh, very impressive close control from him as well. But then in his post-match, Steve, he says, um, I'm, I'm in agreement with the coach. We played a good match. The squad had clear ideas. We were concentrated and we had our head in the game. Fortunately, the result was decided by individual errors. Now, is that a sign of Perez um, uh, you know, kind of like throwing his teammates under the bus a little bit? Whereas like, you know, he's an individual on the pitch. Now he's, now he's, he's pointing out other people's individual flaws in the, in the press room. Or is he just, um, is he just repeating whatever the, the, the media training at the club tells him to say? Because his, his second, answer, uh, second answer to another question was, um, uh, he was saying like, the, they asked him, do you expect to be part of the United game? He said, I'm always available to the coach when he gives me a possibility to play and to help the team. That's a very bog standard answer. Yeah, right? that's so, a very standard answer. Yeah. So what do we make of it? Does Perez, does Perez have like some character about him or is he just at the club waiting for his ticket out there? So I, you know, I did watch some of the match on delay until, you know, I kind of gave up and I, I just put on the background when I got home from the communion and, you know, in the first half, he was the bright spot, I think from an effort standpoint. So I'll give him that. Um, but I think that just goes to show that he's a guy who doesn't get much burn. And he's like, well, if I'm going to get some, some time on the pitch, I'm going to make the most of it and did score a goal credit to him. Um, and I think he had the assist on the Fazio header too. I saw him taking yeah. some set pieces and things like that. Yeah. So he does have some qualities to him. Um, the dribbling and close control are probably his best qualities, but he is like a head down type dribbler, like you mentioned, where he just will take the ball up the pitch and, and go toward goal and not always uh, link up with teammates. Um, in, in terms of the comments, um, I, I guess it, you know, I, I don't think he would intentionally throw other players under the bus. Um, you would hope he wouldn't. So maybe it was kind of those, Oh, you know, the coach said this, Oh yeah, I agree with the coach. Maybe it was down to yeah. individual errors kind of thing. Cause to say the team had their head in the match, you know, I, I don't buy it so much. Cause I, I think <laughs> one eye has been on United all week. Um, yeah. ever since that Atalanta match was over, I think the Atalanta match, they were able to get a result out of in part because of the red card, but also in part because it was a big time opponent. And I'm sure there was a little more motivation to perform um, mm. for some players against a team like that when Rome has been so poor against those kind of teams. Whereas Cagliari, you know, Cagliari is going to be hungry. You know, they wanted a result just like Torino last week. They, they're desperate to get out of the relegation zone. Um, and I think, you know, that motivation outweighs Roma just saying, okay, we got to come and play because we're getting paid today. We have to play, you know, you know, um, to me, yesterday, as much as it stinks to lose another one of these matches, was more about getting Smalling some minutes, which I think he played about 60 minutes, getting Spinazzola the half that he played, getting some minutes in their legs, right. uh, and just getting certain players ready for Sunday without overworking some of the guys who sat, like Karsdorp, like it, uh, those kind of players, Ibanez, who was just suspended, it, things like that. Is it really just about that, though? Is that is that really a sensible strategy, even in terms of the Europa League? Because if, if you're just chucking away results in the league, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to perform in, in one game or, or yeah. two games three, over one time. I don't think it's ideal. And I don't know. I don't want to say Roma lost the match on purpose or they didn't they didn't go in trying to win because, you know, they, they did score a couple goals and they had a couple chances. I just don't think they were, you know, it, it, we see this in sports a lot of time. It's hard to turn up for every game. Mm -hmm. It's hard to turn up every match, especially when at this point there's fatigue setting in. And sometimes certain players, I, I didn't watch the game close enough yesterday to point out individuals, but it, it, it might be some guys are trying to save that extra sprint here or that extra, you know, run there maybe because mm -hmm. they know they need to play again in a few days against the toughest opponent. They're going to one of the toughest opponents to play all season. Yeah. Um, so, rather, so rather than get injured and kind of, yeah. Be, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. 
And then even, you know, I'm sure Paul Lopez wouldn't have played yesterday if uh, Mirante didn't pick up that last minute knock. I even projected Fusato with the possible start in the problems because I thought Fonseca might even save him. And that's your keeper who doesn't have to make those runs and worry about a groin pull or things like that. So um, even if it wasn't intentional, I think sometimes there's just that little thing in the back of your head going, you know what, you know, don't, don't pull that groin or, you know, don't, don't pull, don't, don't make that extra effort because you want to play at Old Trafford on on Thursday. You know, that's, that's our ticket to something this season, if anything. Um, And even the way Fonseca approaches the minutes, I agree with the, the approach of, uh, sitting Karsdorp and only playing, you know, certain guys for half splitting Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini's minutes because he knows, you know, his only shot at doing something this year with this team now is definitely winning the Europa League. And Thursday nights. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's and what enough. is it with Thursday nights? Because even the, the Atalanta match was a Thursday night. And they pulled out a result <laughs> un- unexpectedly. I don't know. Maybe they should just play on every Thursday if they could win this week. Apparently the league are trying to do us a favor yeah. by keeping them in rhythm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a guy who, who turns on often is uh, Leonardo Spinazzola. And uh, compared to the other fullbacks, Spinazzola came on yesterday uh, for the second half, 45, and he does twice as many dribbles as all other three fullbacks put together on the day. Davide Santon, Bruno Perez, uh, and Rick Castle. Spinazzola did twice as many as all three of them put together. And then he also uh, racks up only 10 less passes than the guy who did the most passes of all fullbacks, which is Davide Santon. Uh, having played nearly 15 minutes less than Santon on the day. So, I mean, there's not really much we can say about it, but just another sign, Steve, that Spinazzola is really the, the guy who commands this team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he we, we talked about it. Um, I even brought it up when I was on David Amayel's podcast that when he's in, Roma's, you know, very unbalanced to the left. They, they clearly rely on him. Um, mm-hmm. He's been, I, I, I ranked him on that episode, my guest appearance as the second most important player on the team for Roma this season, based on just the way the offense flows through him and then the contributions he makes running down that flank and, and distributing the ball. So yeah, I, I think his recovery uh, is probably the biggest for Thursday heading in. I mean, Smalling is a huge recovery too, because of Mancini's suspension. So when you weigh Mancini's suspension, I think Smalling is like 1A to Spinozola's 1 in terms of who was recovered this week in terms of injuries. Um, mm. But I mean, Spinazzola is, is very important to the way this team works uh, clearly. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it's just nice to have him back and, you know, see what Roma can do with almost their full squad available against United, you know, at least if Roma goes down outside of Mancini being suspended for the first leg and, you know, maybe not having like Pedro and we didn't have Zaniolo all year. So you can, it's hard to really count him. Roma will at, at the very least go down fighting with their best available, you know, 11 for the most part. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see on Thursday. But uh, just quickly, now that Cagliari won this game, they've climbed out the relegation zone and they've dumped Benevento in it. Some, uh, sorry, Filippo's and Zaghi's uh, Benevento at joint level on points. Uh, but Cagliari are, are ahead of them. Uh, so, Steve, who would you rather see relegated? It's, it's, it's tight down there. I thought it was just yeah. between four teams, but it's actually actually tighter than that. So we, we've got, uh, just above them, we've got Real Benevento Gallery. We've also got Torino, Spezia, and Fiorentina. Realistically, all within touching distance, with 15 points left on the table. There's a three-point gap between all those teams. Who, who would you want to see go down? Um, I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd probably go Benevento. Um, I'd hate to see, I, I think Fiorentina is probably the safest of the bunch on, on 34 at this point, even though it's very close. I think they have the quality to get past that. Um, but, you know, Torino and Cagliari, it would be hard to see those two go down. They're kind of like, uh, 
especially Torino, such a historic club and Cali is always yeah. a fun, fun team to see. And both those teams have so much talent. It'd be a bit of a shame to see them go down, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe for Roma, they'd be able to poach some talent at a cheaper price <laughs> if, if possible, <laughs> like a Belotti or, or a Cranio. But joking aside, I, I'd have to say Benevento. I think, I think I read online that they've won once in their last 17 league matches and it was the win against Juve. Yeah. Um, so hey, at least if they go down, they, they go down with something notable to their name. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of listeners that might be pegging Spezia after the Coppa Italia debacle, uh, a second time, but you know, at least Italiano's team has been somewhat fun to watch at times. They, they've been good against good teams. You know, he, they, he brings some decent football to the league for a first time Serie squad. So I, I would probably go Benevento. Uh, it's nothing yeah. against them, nothing against Filippo and Zaghi really. It's just that. I, I don't really care to see Caliedi and Torino go down um, because of the, the name brands. Um, yeah. I think it, it adds a little more to the league. Fun, playing Caliedi tends to be fun because they tend to give us a match, even though yeah, yesterday yeah. was the first time they beat us in a while. I was surprised to hear at, at the beginning of the telecast. I was too, because I, I always get nervous when we go down to Sardinia. It, yeah. it never feels like an easy game at all. I feel like we um, constantly drop points to them. Exactly. Yeah. I was very surprised by the, the stats rolled out yesterday. I'm going to agree with you. I hope I hope Benevento go down. And for me, I am against Benevento because you know what, Pipo Inzaghi has set up the team to just defend yeah. for the second half of the season. And if you do that, then you deserve it to put up in your face. You know, you could have just stayed playing attacking football, or you could have could have been a little bit more balanced about it um, in terms of shifting from your first half of the season to a second half approach. But this was just Benevento sitting yeah. back, waiting for it to happen. And, and even the match we we played them and we drew zero zero. It's just it was clearly what you said. It was it was just like try to find a result by any means possible yeah. without attacking. So at least you know, credit to Torino and Cali, they came at us and they they hit us, they punched us in the face with their attack, and they they deserve yeah, yeah. to win. You know, yeah. Benevento somehow they beat Juve, took four points off Juve, I think this season. Yeah. So other than that, yeah. they they haven't been worth much in the league. Benevento had, had a good thing going, but they just yeah. didn't believe in it. So, yeah, those are my favorites. We'll see. After the break, we'll be back with why I'm happy this weekend. It's Roma Wimbledon. They've, they've really put on a, a great, great show this weekend. And then we'll be talking about Thursday night, the Europa League semifinal, and then we'll deal with some listeners' questions. We'll be right back after this commercial break. All right, we're back, and we're here to talk about Roma beating Juventus. It doesn't happen all the time but it just happened this weekend if you tuned in on sunday morning uh on 6 30 a.m the east coast time then congratulations to you because you know, dedicated as ever that was the kickoff time for the Coppa italia semi-final second leg where roma emerged victorious on away goals at the end but don't be deceived by the away goals factor because roma at some point in the match were ahead 4-2 on aggregate and really it was only just a series of unfortunate events right rightly left where you you've pulled two goals back but we'll talk you through it if you didn't see it steve did you didn't see it did you i didn't see it uh 6 30 i wasn't getting up that early <laughs> i did see um i was probably up toward the end where i just kind of saw that they were winning i didn't actually realize you got a second goal back at the end i thought uh it ended uh with just you pulling yeah. one goal back so i actually didn't see they, the final i guess they got two back and, yeah. and look, I've, I've never been the type to tell you like hey you should watch it because it's the woman etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't do that but at this time i can generally say to you if you like drama and football you missed out you really missed out it was it was that type of game it was really really emotional um it's really this is a rumor of now made their first copper italian final since the club's formation in the summer of 2018 uh and they dumped out the reigning copper holders uv on the way on the way to doing it um uv in this game they, they started off 2-1 down 
because Roma won the first leg. Uh, but Juve eventually took the league in, in, the, in the 17th minute for a Sofia Pedersen header, or Sophie Pedersen header, sorry. And uh, they went into halftime, ruining some missed chances, including a, a defender, Sambrat, got a, a point-blank header uh, from a corner that uh, Roma keeper Camilla Chiazar saved that point-blank range. And there was, there was a couple of stunning saves from Chiazar to keep Roma in the game going into halftime. Uh, it really didn't look like uh, Roma had much offensive firepower at that point. They were, they were really kind of like still feeling their way into the match, but they weren't completely out of it. And they came out in the second half and they transformed their game. And it was really down to Angelica Sofia on that right wing. Um, you know, but we were just talking about Leonardo Spinazzola. Sofia is probably more comparable to Alessandro Florenzi in the sense that she, I mean, she's not Roman born and bred, but she's come up through the academy. She, she was signed as a midfielder and now she's been converted to right back. Um, and she's just made her Italy debut at senior level at right back uh, just this past month for Italy. Um, and so she's, she's really like, in the last two seasons, she's transformed herself. When, you know, if you saw her play in the debut season, she was just this scrawny kid. And you were thinking, okay, she's scrappy. Um, she shows heart. And, you know, that would be a good feel-good story. But now she's actually an executioner. Like she actually, she keeps her head up. She's got the presence of mind to run through players. She was running through Juventus players. Like the Juve are physically built squad, right? They, they don't joke around. When they when they assembled this Juve, Juventus woman team, they signed the best that Brescia had to offer. Brescia was the, the best team in the land at the time in 2017. Um, Juventus signed up all their players, built them up in that machine-like way that only Juventus can do. And then you have Sofia just literally running through them like she's Agnola. Um, and this, it was just unbelievable to see in the second half. Like she, she became the de facto playmaker on the side. She was uh, driving the ball through like 50, 70 yards at a time. She was stringing together passes from the left to the right flank very fast, you know, outflanking Juventus, helping her, her teammates outflank Juventus. And she even put in a pinpoint cross for Paloma Lazzaro, the Roma striker, to steer home past uh, Juve keeper Laura Giuliani in the second half. But on that occasion, Lazzaro was correctly run off offside. But that, that was the first like, real like danger signs for Juve that Roma was actually in the ascendancy in this game and they were coming back into it. This is a Juve side that leading on away goals in the second half at that point. And past the hour mark, the game was beginning to look like that familiar story where you have a Roma side that's flattering to deceive. A lot of excellent build-up play all the way to Juventus's penalty box, but then lacking that killer instinct to really make it count inside the box, whereas Juve had taken their chance in the first half and they, they were happy to sit on their lead. Um, and that sinking feeling definitely came when Giuliani, the Juve keeper, spilled the ball to the feet of Lindsay Toma, Roma's forward, uh, with an open goal beckoning. And the only thing Tom I could do is he took a bad first touch and just really let the chance go begging. It was really, it was the, really a, the easiest chance you've ever seen. But finally, things changed in the 77th minute after a substitution came. Uh, a corner was floated all the way over to the far side in, in Juve's box and the cut back by centre-back Elena Lenari, a star player who actually had a really, very poor game up until that point. Lost her marker several times, including on the, on the Juve goal. But she top, popped up in Juve's box, cut it back into the middle. And who else but Lindsay Thomas? Didn't think twice. She just slammed the ball home. 1-1, Roma leading on aggregate at the time. Some wild celebrations there. Um, the, the Roma commentator on asroma.com, <laughs> he did not hold back at all with his bias. Uh, everyone was happy. And then Roma confirmed their superiority five minutes later, scoring directly from another corner. It was Paloma Lazzaro this time, headed in at the, at the near post. The 2-1 on the day. And 4-2 in aggregate. And by that time, we, we knew Juve's turkey was done. Juve needed 
three goals to save save themselves from crashing out of uh, their copper defense in this tournament. Roma had a chance to go even further up in the scoreline with Anna Maria Sartorini breaking free down that left wing, as she so often does this season, and so often does in all her three seasons at Roma so far. Uh, she didn't have enough fuel to le left in the tank. When she got to the box, she couldn't do anything other than shoot straight at Giuliani. Um, Roma really could have killed the game off then. And then, as we said, in the last 10 minutes, substitutions to change the game. Uh, Steve, you, you won't be surprised to hear that. In the first half, when Juve were up on the scoreline, the referee actually blew half-time three seconds before 45 minutes were up. And in the second half, what do you think happened? Five minutes extra time. <laughs> Five minutes injury time. So substitutions changed the game. Uh, just before injury time came up, it was a blatant, blatant hack of frustration from uh, Italy's star midfielder, Juventus midfielder, Martina Rizzucci, who injured Angelica Sofia, our, our, our star performer on the day. She just hacked her down from the knee down. Uh, Sofia was immediately stretched off, had to get treatment on the sidelines, and we were forced to put Kaya Erzin on as a, as a replacement. And then there's Alison Swaby, our other centre-back, uh, who went down with cramp had to be replaced by the talented but diminutive Tecla Petanuzzo, who gives away height advantages in the box. She's a great ball player, but not, not a great aerial threat. And Juve made the most of that aerial advantage by scoring from two corners in three stoppage time minutes, both inside the five minutes of allocated stoppage time that referee gave them. But it wasn't enough. Even though Saragama scored a winning goal in the 95th minute of the game for Juve on the day, and that was, they won the, the, the game 3-2, it was still the very last action of the game. There wasn't enough time for even Gamma to pick the ball up the back of the net and go back to the to the halfway line. Referee blew the whistle. That mo both teams were were tied 4-4 in aggregate, and Roma went through on away goals. And they go to the Coppa Italia final to face AC Milan women, who it has to be said uh, they have Valentina Giacinti, Giacinti, sorry, Giacinti in their front line. Italy's star striker, very prolific forward have a very impressive team, so they have to be considered the favourites. They're, they're really the only team, Milan, who are stopping uh, Juve from outright being declared champions in the league because Juventus have won 18 games out of 18, haven't dropped a single point this season. Um, and uh, Roma going to that Coppa Italia final as second favourites, but hey, they went into the semi-final second favourites and they won that. So, you know, never go up. But really the, the talk of the match after the game was uh, Gaia Brunelli, the Sky Sport commentator, her figuraccia after full time, where she uh, she was confused. <laughs> Steve, she before full time, Sarah Gamma scores a goal, right? They go up three two, and she like Brunelli, Brunelli's commentary gives away the fact that she's like thrilled to death that Juve come back. She's got the, the dramatic storyline of the day where the you know, the champions show their resolve, yeah, and they come back, and she's thinking that Juve have won. And then you can imagine the surprise when the final whistle goes and Roma players are celebrating in the center <laughs> circle going mad. And she's wondering with a commentator, Martina Angelini, she's just like wondering why are Roma like celebrating? And they were insisting for a while on air for a good 50 minutes afterwards that Juve had scored the winner. And then they claimed that the referee must have disallowed Gamma's goal. And that was the reason why um, Roma had gone through. But the strained explanation about that and, and both of them have apologized afterwards. And let's be clear, Guy Brunelli is not some kind of new commentator off the block. He's done over 10 years in commentary. Um, when Palmer were relegated to City, she was almost doing like, she was the one that, that did the hard time doing exclusive coverage of their, their rise all the way back up to City R. So she knows her stuff. For her, for her to not understand 
um, the away goals rule when it was when it's favoring Roma is very very strange because in the first half they understood perfectly when Ro- mm-hmm. when Juventus were leading on away goals. You know, so <laughs> it was just a, a very funny moment that gives away the the big team bias that goes into Sky Sky Italia commentary. Yeah, but uh, yeah. And Roma they should know Roma knows, Roma knows a thing or two about 4-4 four, four, uh, away goal victories in, there you in go. the club. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's becoming a bit of a club history, a friend of club history right now, yeah. Uh, we'll see if Roma can can become Coppa Italia champions. Uh, that final is going to be played on May 30th. The location is to be decided, but really, if you missed out on the drama in the semifinal, I don't think you want to miss out on the drama in the final. It's going to be a great game. Um, now we're going to move on to Back to the men's team and the Thursday nights. Thursday night, Steve. The Europa League semi-final against Manchester United. You, know, you take it away. Yeah, so Roma heads to Old Trafford for the first leg. Like we mentioned earlier, mostly a, a healthy squad available to Fonseca. Uh, Gianluca Mancini is suspended for the first leg because of that silly yellow card that he picked up in the second leg against Ajax. You can see he was uh, distraught post-match. Uh, some people actually thought he went down injured right at the end of the match. Um because he, he just kind of went down, I think, realizing, you know, hand, hands on his face, like, oh, I just cost myself a, a trip to, to United, you know, something that many young players would dream of, especially foreign players getting a chance to play at the Theater of Dreams, as it's known. Um, you know, it's been a while since Roma's played United in, in a meaningful match. I think we have to go back to, geez, like the 2008 Champions League when they played them two years in a row in the uh, quarterfinals. Um, Roma, of course, in 2007, I remember this vividly because that was my first year as a real Roma, like kind of follower where I followed them, you know, and I was living abroad in Italy that season. I happened to be in Barcelona on my spring break for the first leg, um, went to a, a, a pub, was watching it, ran into a couple uh, Roma fans. Um, and I was, ended up, you know, chatting it up with them as we watched Roma get just utterly demolished 7-1 at Old Trafford um, for anybody was who's been was following the first leg. That was the second one. Oh, was it the second? Was it the first or the yeah. second leg? First leg, Roma 1 2. Roma 1 2 1. Okay, yeah. so the second leg then. I just remember yeah. watching them get utterly demolished 7 1 at Old Trafford. <laughs> I remember De Rossi's goal was a very nice goal. Uh, yes. Gets lost in the, in the fray. That's the irony. That was the best goal of the entire tie. Yeah. But it, it was, right it was like a volleyed, like back heel goal. It was, yeah. it was a lovely goal, but yeah. you know, it was, <laughs> I should have known then, I guess, as my, you know, kind of just getting into the team finally first year, really following you them closely, what I was signing up for. <laughs> um, but you know, ever since then I've kind of despised United um, just because hey, of least, that. And at least you were in Spain at the time. You weren't in England watching it. Yeah, thankfully. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, was... the pub was full of United jerseys. I remember that, though, because, okay. you know, <laughs> United yeah. had the following. Um, so that was that was disappointing. And then I think it was the following season that they lost to United again, right? A closer, yeah. closer two-legged affair. But um, I think in that one, it was when De Rossi actually skied a penalty kick over the bar, right? In one of those really? two matches? I, okay. I think. I take your word for it I don't how good my memory well. is but um yeah so the first time since then that I, I can recall Roma playing United in a meaningful match not just like in one of those ICC preseason matches in the states or something um yeah. you know United enters second in the in the Premier League fairly comfortable in the Premier League in second far off of first because City's kind of running away with that league but you know it's going to be a stern test we thought Ajax was going to be tough but this will you know kind of take things to the next level yeah United 67 points in second 10 behind City five up on Leicester city with, you know, five to play over there. So they're probably pretty comfortable in second um, United started in the champions league this year, came down to the Europa league. Like many of these teams 
have done that Roman's face in the knockout stages. And, you know, going to, to Old Trafford to start uh, can have its advantages, but also its disadvantages, I think. Um, you know, when you travel away first, if you can do what Roma did, like they did at IX, where you get the away result, uh, it could really give you a lot of hope coming back home. Uh, but it could also be very tough to go to those places and derail you early, um, like we've seen in the past too. So going to be a tough fixture. Um, you know, Sean, before I even get into any of the percentages and stuff, how do you feel gut feeling heading into into this first leg and then maybe the overall tie someone someone summed it up for me yesterday on the forum and you're going to call me uh, cynical for this but i think the best Rome work can hope for is uh limiting a loss to two nil or less and that, that would be a good job because i think united is a stronger team all over the park than us and i, I really can't see any way out yeah united united's gonna be a tough tough team to beat um based on talent alone we 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 know that um, and I think you're right. It's going to be tough to get a win. I, I don't think we could expect a win. Uh, the 538 percentages certainly don't expect us to win and not even really draw. Uh, so I was looking at the, the percentages just for this first leg. 538 is giving United a 65% chance at victory, a 21% chance of a draw, and a 13% chance of a Roma surprise victory um, on the road. So definitely tough. I think even if this match was at the Olympico, we'd see maybe a slightly lesser chance for United, but I think we'd still see United favored in the tie. Um, They're favored to progress to the final at 79%. So big, big favorites. Um, But Sean and I did some digging and we found that heading into the Barcelona tie a couple of years ago that Roma shocked the world. Um, Barcelona was actually given an 87% chance of advancing past Roma in the Champions League quarterfinals a couple of years ago. So not unprecedented for Roma to be close to an 80% chance of getting eliminated. Uh, just heading that, into does, the first leg. Does that now mean Roma are going to lose because there's not enough pressure on them? The, 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 odds, <laughs> the odds aren't stacked enough against them. <laughs> it's only 79 this time. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, we've seen that. That's the thing with Roma. They do some crazy things when their backs are against the wall, and we've seen them yeah. kind of just completely fall apart when they're the favorites. So uh, it'll, be, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what kind of mentality the players come into this with. Of course, you know, Old Trafford is, is Old Trafford, but it won't have the, you know, like 70 or 80,000, however many people fit into that stadium, making it really intimidating, yeah, um, you know, true. which which could play into Roma's favorite slightly. But yeah, I mean, you look around the pitch, I just pulled up the United's lineup from yesterday and they didn't even start all the regulars, but you have, you know, you have Rashford and Bruno Fernandes and um, Maguire and Lindoff in the back who are both fairly well-regarded and yet Edison Cavani, Paul Pogba. I mean, De Gea is the goalie. I mean, you know, you have tons of guys around the park um, who are top quality players. Yeah. Um, my, my, my problem isn't mentality. It's that my insistence have a better physique and they play faster. Uh, mm-hmm. We, we, even in Serie A, when you see us playing against Italian teams that people talk about us and they say, Okay, we get we get spots we get spots to play ten minutes and fifteen minutes that here and there where Roma start playing the ball really fast and doing one touch stuff and and people say openly why can't Roma do this more because yeah. the rest of it is just slow mm-hmm. you know, so I, I just think we could bring the best mentality in the world but we don't have the tools to actually harm United we we we, we don't play fast enough to make them worry about it or get them out of position yeah um, it's really like if we're gonna get a result out of this. It's going to be something like uh, someone mentioned it yesterday on the forum again. 
as a Chelsea Barcelona win in 2012, where it's just like backs to the wall, and then like you launch a hail mary ball over the top because United have committed so many people up front, and then you, just, you hit them on the break. Yeah, but it's going to be something like that. I can't, I can't see us moving around United or playing like fancy football or anything like that. You know, I I, I agree full hundred percent. I think if Roma is going to find a goal or possibly two, if they're really fortunate, it's going to be on the break. Um, and I think if people are tired of seeing Roma concede possession to teams that are, you know, better than them and sometimes even not better teams. Um, yeah. You know, they actually controlled the possession yesterday, but in a couple of the, the most recent matches, we saw them concede possession to Torino. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw them concede possession Bologna. to Ajax big time, Bologna. Yeah. Um, hey, so if you didn't enjoy that, don't even tune don't, in. Because don't tune in tomorrow. I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if the possession's about 75-25 tomorrow. Um, yeah. Not tomorrow, Sorry, but Thursday, Thursday rather. Thursday, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I could see it going 75-25 toward United. Um, so it really comes down to how well can Roma defend. And, you know, conceding possession is one thing. It's a matter of how do you concede it? Do you give up the good chances? Because, you know, sometimes you see matches where you concede possession, but you don't really give up the big chances. And that's what Roma mm. really has to limit. And that's what they did so well against Ajax in the second, second leg. They conceded mm. a ton of possession to Ajax, knowing they were up and knowing a draw was plenty good to get through. And... You know, Ajax had very limited chances until they got the goal in the beginning of the second half. Uh, Almost had the second, which was called back for the foul. But Roma really limited the Ajax chances. So, you know, if if United just passing the ball around the midfield outside of the 18, so be it. Um, Because even if you put, I don't expect this to happen, but even if they defend well enough to pull out a 0-0, that's like a win away at Old Trafford, you know? So, yeah. I think that'll be the approach. I think having Mkhitaryan back is, is big, you know, of course he's been back for a few matches now. He's going to be the key, I think in the counterattack along with Jekko. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's going to be Jekko. It has to be at this point. We we've seen that based on the way Fonseca has rotated the lineup, uh, yeah. the way he approached Ajax, it's going to be Jekko. And I, I think rightly so in this case, um, in my opinion, at least, I think he offers more on that counterattack when you're going to need a, a striker to hold up the ball and hopefully have Mkhitaryan, uh, and maybe some other guys run off him. Um, Dep- depends who you play with him, to be honest. You know, I, I can I can get on board with the idea that Jack has the big match experience, but then he 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 becomes the playmaker because he's he's mm-hmm. not gonna he's not gonna be the runner on the break. No, and he's then, not going to be the runner. He's gonna be the guy setting up the runners. Exactly. At this point, so who so who are the runners? You know, I don't. I, yeah. He, I you might not agree with me, but I don't want Lorenzo Pellegrini to be one of those runners. He's not gonna finish chance. He's not gonna get on the end of it. Um, you know, I. If you got if you give me Mkhitaryan for some reason, give me Pedro. I don't know why I'm asking after the season he's had, but <laughs> it's just you know that makes more sense to me. Or, or Mkhitaryan and Perez, yeah, uh, you know, and then fine, play Jekyll. But I just don't think Jekyll and Pellegrini, as much as they like each other, I don't think they're compatible in terms of a fast break front free. Yeah, that that is I and I I have a feeling that's the direction it's going to go. Um, <clears throat> based on the trends we've seen, but I can see where your reservations will be with Pellegrini because Pellegrini is more the distributor. We saw the lovely pass he made to Perez on the first goal yesterday. If he's the guy yeah. who's distributing to a guy running off the ball, like a, exactly. like a um, Meyerall, it makes sense. Uh, I just don't see Meyerall starting because I don't see the holdup play aspect that I think Fonseca is going to look for. Um, mm. And probably that big match experience. I mean, there are some interesting storylines in this, you know, you look at Jekko's city past and we've talked about Jekko when we did our, um, throwback episode to the group stage and the way he performed against Chelsea, how he seems to get up for these big English sides. Um, yeah. You know, he is a little more limited than he was three years ago uh, because age is getting to him a bit, but I think he will be very motivated. I thought he played very well for the most part against Ajax. 
Um, so it shows that on the days he is on right now, he still brings a lot to the table. Um, but, you know, as good as Ajax is, United takes it to another level, I think, currently. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have a couple big time X players here, Mikatarian and Smolin, who are two of Roma's key yeah. components right now. Um, yeah. I, I mentioned earlier, I think getting Smalling back is huge. Um, and he might be a little rusty. Hopefully he shook some of the rush yesterday because with Mancini suspended, they, they need Smalling in this match. Um, yeah. um, whether it's in the center or to the right of Cristante, I don't know how Fonseca will approach that aspect. Kambula's back too, but I don't anticipate a Kambula start after not playing yesterday. Um, yeah. So I think you're looking at a back three of Ibanez, Cristante, and Smalling um, with Cristante being that guy that hopefully can loop the ball over the top to Jekyll when they do get a break because we know Smalling's not the best passer of the ball. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be the the direction they go there. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Um, yeah. I, I just, I don't feel that Jekyll did that well against Ajax. I, you know, I, I'm okay with him starting this match. I, I definitely think that it's a semifinal and you want an experienced player in the team that can carry the emotional weight up front. So I'm fine with Jekyll starting. I just don't think that he played that well in Ajax, uh, the Ajax game. Um, I, some of the stuff that people are saying about Jekyll now is starting to go over my head where you know, they, like he's, he's, he comes back into the side and people say, oh my God, look at the, the hold-up play and, and the little things that he does off the ball. You know, I just think, I look at what he does when the team actually puts him in good situations to actually do damage, uh, you know, find that final ball or make that shot and score. And he's, he doesn't do it. And he just mm-hmm. looks like this is the first season where I can say, some people might have said this previous season, but I think he was at Jekyll was still sharp even last season where he came up with double figures. Uh, this is the first season where I really think age is caught up with Jekyll and he just he can't do the things they used to do. And he can't he can't even do it as well as the next guy. Um, so I definitely put Jekyll in there for the for the, the, the keeping a calm head factor and, and reminding the team to you know stay up the pitch mm-hmm. and be the anchor up front. But I'm still waiting for a, a good performance from Jekko. And, and in, some re- in some ways, I actually uh, blame Fonseca for that because I think his manage- management of Jekko has is, is totally turned out to be off, off target. Yeah, I mean, if, if Jekko performs tomorrow, I think it has nothing to do with Fonseca's man management. And that's not a knock against, you know, anybody in particular because, I, you know, I, I do like Fonseca in many ways, but I think you're right in this regard that this is one way, area we can knock him. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has more to do about Jekyll's motivation pl- going back to Old Trafford with that city pass. Yes. And I think Mkhitaryan um, will want to kind of um, get rid of some of the demons of his past if he can and perform because we know that his United yeah. career was not very good. Um, yeah. I think Smalling will be very motivated um, with, his, with his United pass where he was kind of shown the door um, from a team that wasn't very good defensively last year uh, from what I can recall. I don't watch a lot of the Premier League, but, you know, I, I, I don't think the center backs are, you know, in the recent years when Smalling started to lose minutes were that great. Um, mm. I don't watch United enough to really com- make a apples to apples comparison, but I think Smalling proved a lot last year that he had still had a lot to offer. So I think yeah. he'll be very motivated. Yeah. I think some of the worry is the midfield um, getting overrun. If like Pogba's on his game and Fernandez is on his game, um, there's gonna be a lot of pressure on, on Vertu. Um, yeah. I think, I think Diawara probably starts alongside him for this one, um, mm-hmm. because he gives you a little more defensive solidity. If Mancini wasn't suspended, I would almost wonder if Cristante moves to midfield and maybe it happens for the second leg, depending on the situation Roma find themselves in, because with Ibanez, Smalling and Mancini back, 
do you think that, and we, you know, it would just be hypothetical for leg one because Mancini is suspended, but would you prefer Cristante in the midfield right now? Or would you prefer someone sitting in the defense and having Cristante play back there? Well, this is going to our, our listeners' questions now. Mm-hmm. We've got a question from Daniel Martinez on this. Uh, he's at DJMDL3200. And he says, he asks us, with the recent performance from Diawara and Gonzalo Riyar, and I, I assume he's referring to this weekend against Cadari, uh, should Pellegrini go back to midfield to play in midfield alongside Vertu? Um, I mean, just answer your question first, Steve, about Cristante. Um, should he go back into midfield? Hmm. No, because he's not. I, sorry, he's just not good enough at European level with his with his with his ball control. Um, he he will put you in difficulty in the field. Uh, I think again, this this uh, somehow <laughs> still goes back to Pellegrini. In that you got Cristante and Pellegrini on the same side. You've got two players who are looking for space. They're looking mm-hmm. for wide open space for them to be able to be effective in the game. Um, I I think it's too much to put them both in there. Maybe I'm dealing with both yours and Daniel Martinez's question at the same time, but um, I just don't, I don't, no, I wouldn't. I would I'd keep Cristante back where he, he can find space at the back. And then that's one player who uh, his, his weakness in terms of technique is, is marked by the rest of the team and then he can focus on his strengths. Um, but I understand where, you, where your questions are coming from because I was as disappointed as ever with Diawara and, and Villar this weekend. Uh, they just, they were like statues out there. Yeah. Really. Um, they just didn't. They didn't move. Uh, Diawara has been a long-standing problem with him. He just he he just struggles to share midfield with with another guy. Man, he yeah. just, he wants to be the guy always that receives the, the pass from from the defense, and he just doesn't understand that sometimes you just can't always be the man. Like you gotta, uh, you know, you gotta let the defense pass it out to you, to your your teammate standing right by you, and before your teammate receives the ball. You have to move. You have yes. to move. I don't care how you move. You have to move left, right, or upfield, but you have to move. You can't just sit square to, to your teammate because then he, he's got no way out. Mm-hmm. He's already marked by two, three, two, three guys who who are cut off their passes, and that's how Roma get trapped on the ball. Um, and VR as well, just no movement from him this this Sunday at all. Uh, he just looks like he's spent after his first yeah. full season at, at Serie A level. So, so um, I guess that leads me to ask you then, assuming Cristante is at center back, which we, we would assume he is with Mancini suspended, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you don't really care for Pellegrini on the break, would you play Pellegrini alongside Vertu? Does that give us enough defensive cover in the midfield to play um, you know, someone else in, in the attacking midfield? Yeah, I guess by process of nation, nation yes, I would. I would answer yes to Daniel Martinez's question. I play Pellegrini Vertu in uh, that two-man midfield. Um, but really it's not so much about Pellegrini. I mean, credit to Pellegrini because he actually has proven to be pretty sharp when it comes to cutting out uh, danger mm-hmm. from that yes. from that role this season. Yeah, so that, that's time. credit to him. Yeah. But right now I'm thinking more like we just need someone who offers movement in midfield. Mm-hmm. Anyone who, who shows up on Thursday and, and says, Look, I'm actually gonna run today, I'll put them in the field. And you know you're gonna get that from Jordan now too, so I'll start yes. him. Um, and Pellegrini, if he does that, then yeah, I'm happy with that. What do you think? Yeah, it's tough. I think the problem with dropping Pellegrini back right now isn't even um, that one of those guys needs to start with Vertu in terms of VR Diawara. I think it's Pedro's training individually right now, and we don't know what he's going to be like. El Shirari didn't even get off the bench after coming back from injury on the weekend, so he's 
probably not fit enough to even give you 45 minutes. I'm thinking at this point, yeah. he's probably more of an off the bench option. And Carlos Perez for as, you know, motivated as he looked yesterday, is he good enough at the European level to start a guy who hasn't really played much yeah. uh, at Manchester United? I don't think so. Um, so unless, you know, he really pulls a rabbit out of his hat and tries to play like Jekko and Myral together in some, some really, mm. you know, creative way, um, with Mkhitaryan supporting them, which could be interesting. Maybe Myral and, and Mkhitaryan are running off of Jekko, which I think is me just dreaming a bit. Uh, cause I don't, I don't know if Fonseca would do that from the opening whistle. I, I think that's really your only other option. If you're not going to play Pellegrini up there, uh, in terms Good of, point. because of the injuries and stuff. So I think that's why we probably get Pellegrini alongside Mkhitaryan. And I would think just because like you said, VR looks a bit spent. He hasn't looked as good in the second half of the season. Fonseca was even questioned about that in the the pre-match press conference when I was putting together my probables for the last match. He kind of said, you know, it's a long season. Um, You know, he's shown a lot of growth this year kind of answer, but I I think the, he's kind of hit a wall a little bit. Um, He's a young kid, hasn't played top flight football for very long. He was playing in, you know, the, the, the second division in Spain before we picked him up. So definitely could be just that he's hitting a wall physically and maybe even a little bit mentally at this point in the season. So I think it probably ends up being VOR, but yeah, he's starting, you know, I, I know he's a player you love and for you to say, you know, you got to move, like that's a simple critique. Yeah. It's not even like you need, you need to do something very, you know, technically gifted or anything. It's just move, you know? So right, yeah. I hope if he starts, he's on his game, but uh, I think that's where, Fonseca has a little bit of an issue because like you said, Pellegrini is not the ideal player to play on the break up front. He's mm. probably would be better served in the midfield where he can distribute the ball to the forwards um, and have them make those runs because we can, we, we've seen him make plenty of those passes similar to Cristante, uh, maybe mm. from a little bit further up position. Um, but yeah, I think that's the issue. And that's why we'll see how Thursday goes, but you know, Cristante played in more of a midfield role against Atalanta. And you, you did say, you know, the control is an issue. He does need a little more space. Um, you know, Atalanta press is pretty hard. So if he can do it against Atalanta, maybe Fonseca considers it second leg, depending on what Roma needs and what the approach is, has to be. Um, That's fair. That's because fair. by then we have hopefully three fit center backs, which are the yeah. ideal trio that we, you know, expected to be starting most of this season. Um, yeah. But, you know. Uh, that's it, fair. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, on recent evidence, maybe Cristante has improved in that aspect. Yeah. I may be thinking too much about like the Cristante we saw like partners up with Inzonzi where he just you know just yeah wasn't, and, like, and it's tough. There. It's it's not the ideal partner for him, I don't think. Uh two yeah. kind of lumbering, uh yeah. not the fastest players, maybe with there too a little more mobility and you know, maybe Pellegrini dropping back to support a little bit because Mikatarian works pretty hard to to drop back too. Maybe he's got a different team around him at this point than he had two yeah. seasons ago. Um yeah. But, you know, all this talk about who's going to run on the counterattack, who's going to run at the it, – it, I had this random thought as I was out jogging the other day. I went for a long jog, and, you know, I listen to Couch of Podcasts sometimes, and I'm thinking about Roma and what we're going to talk about. And I, I had this thought, like, you know, I thought it's Agnolo. And I'm like, this poor kid wouldn't have been ideal if he was fit by this point of season because you talk about playing that English team with that physical style many of those English teams play and, like, yeah. the quick mo- – like – he would be the ideal, at least from a Roma roster perspective, partner, I think, to Mkhitaryan in this match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having him run off a of Jekko or Mkhitaryan, like, he's not intimidated by the physicality. He could run at Lindolf oh, yeah. and, and, and Maguire and these guys, and he would do it. 
yeah. willingly uh, if he was fit. So, so the, the, like I haven't thought too much about Zaniola because you can't really cry over spilled milk and it's hard to consider him when he's been out all year. But man, like this match, and if they can find a way to progress and they play like an arsenal, like what better time to have him would it be than, than now, yeah. you know? Because I, I agree with you. And, and th- this is like, this probably clarifies my point about Pellegrini is that I don't have a problem with him in the front feet. If like, for example, it was Mkhitaryan and Zaniolo with him. Mm-hmm. I just have a problem with, with him in the front feet with Dzeko. Right. They're both playing the same role yep. where like one of them has to make that key pass, you know? Yep. Uh, in, in the long term, I actually think Lorenzo Pellegrini's best role is to be that, that rifinitore, that final third player that um, plays in the hole and is in, is in charge of the final pass. Is that, that's really... That's the that's the one area where he actually manages to make a difference. But for him to do that, you need to you need the team around him. You need you need like two defensive midfielders behind him. Um, and I don't know if he really has that kind of influence to be able to convince the club to to build a team around him in that sense. But we'll see. Yeah. But uh, for now, he's just a, he's a guy who, like you said, is is roaming for space. Like wherever there isn't defensive pressure is where Pellegrini is going to run into. And we're, unfortunately, we're stuck in this cycle of conversation with Pellegrini where, like, he, he'll play Mezzala and people will say, oh, he should play um, Tricartista because he's mm. better. And he plays Tricartista, he's not that great. And they say, yeah. oh, well, you know, he should have played Mediano because he'd be better. And he plays, like, six months there, good. And then some some stuff missing. And say, <laughs> you know what? You should have you should have never moved him from Mezzala. And, and that's that's just, that's the, the vicious cycle of Pellegrini right now is that there's... Yeah. there's it's just things that are missing from his game that make him that like utility player rather than mm-hmm. someone with a defined role. You know? Yeah. And I think he's turning into a quality player for Roma. You know, I think he's a guy that should stick around. And the thing that kills me on Twitter is like, for some reason he gets so much more like vitriol than other players on the side when they don't perform. And I don't know if it's just because he's the Roman who's supposed to be the next big Roman on the team or whatever it is, but he gets a lot of crap. Is. You know, I yeah. think he, he gets a lot more crap. And then, you know, there, there's one Twitter account who defends him to the death, uh, which, you know, <laughs> I think we know who that is. <laughs> I think you know who it is too. And yeah. I, I'm a big Pellegrini supporter. So a lot of the crap he gets is a bit ridiculous, but then you see like too much uh, on the other side it's where it's true. like yeah. anything VR does is under the microscope yeah. because he sees VR as like, I guess the yeah. anti Pellegrini or whatever, which I, I just, it, they're both part of Roma. I want them both to perform well. Um, yeah. I think Pellegrini hopefully will stick around as the captain. I, I like him as a player. He's, you know, I, I you know, I enjoy having him on the team, but yeah. it's just crazy because he gets so much flack. It similar to Florenzi, I guess, in some ways, because Florenzi was kind of the same thing. He got a lot of crap from certain people and then a lot of love from I, others. I think to answer you directly, I think it is because of the Roman captain thing, yeah. especially it, it is for me. I'll be honest, yep. because I look at the women's team victory this weekend. And it takes away a lot of the excuses that the, the typical tropes that you see on the men's side of the game. You know, like if there wasn't half as much money in the men's game, you would not see any of these kind of storylines come up where, where people say, oh, you need a homegrown lad to, to, to show what it means to play for their shirt, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Look, the, the Rumble women's team this weekend gets benefited from Paloma Lazaro, Spanish track coming in. Uh, they were ruining the, the absence of Brazilian playmaker Andressa. Um, who else? There was Lizzie Thomas, a French striker, who turns out to be here on the day. There, was a, there were Italian players there as well. And and there were, I think, no, there weren't actually Roman Academy players in the team, but they, these these players were fighting, not necessarily just for their shirt, but for themselves. Like, they, they wanted to win mm-hmm. the game because it was just a good game of football. And the men's game is just like, there's so much money that we just fall over to come up with excuses and, and just these 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 tropes to justify yeah. why things aren't going the way they are. So yeah. that's where 
unfortunately, unjustifi unjustifiably, Pellegrini gets hit heat for it because if if with Pellegrini's weaknesses right now, I can't say that he's my automatic first name on the team sheet. I need to know who's going to be playing alongside him first to know that Pellegrini's going to have a good game. And that's that's a contradiction when you make someone the captain yeah. and then that in that role. Yeah. And I think we're so used to having Totti and De Rossi as the Roman banners that like those guys had very few holes in their game and they were automatic first team starters anytime they were fit. Um, yeah. And when they weren't, like I remember there was that one one derby when who was the the manager who kept them both out? Was it Zeman? Or, uh, it was Ranieri. Right, Ranieri. And we were yeah, just like, Ranieri. what what is going on? Like that, that, yeah. that was shocking. Where if yeah. Pellegrini sits for a derby, you're not going to be as surprised, you know, same yeah. with Florenzi because I think they follow in these footsteps. And, you know, in this, in, and you bring up the money aspect, there's so many guys that would leave Roma in a heartbeat for more money. Whereas mm -hmm. Pellegrini, I, I'm sure would be, uh, it would be a lot more difficult for him to leave at the drop of a hat. Yeah. You know, true. so I think in that respect, he should have a little more respect from the fans. I think just because of the attachment. And I think he, he shouldn't be so under the microscope, but I guess you're right because of that same aspect, it, it becomes like a double-edged sword in some ways. If you are tied to the club, like on a grassroots level, I understand why you say, yeah, uh, stick up for Pellegrini. But at the same time, I could argue, if I want my club to grow, I want it to be based on merit. We just discussed last week how merit is such a nebulous concept in, in men's football right now. But mm -hmm. um, I want it to be like the best players on the team represent the, you know, the values of the club. Pellegrini is, is a great area in that sense. Um, and I just think that um, he, he doesn't deserve, you know, the speculation and being put on a microscope like he, like he has been, but uh, just the, the Roman captain thing doesn't do it for me. You know, like I, I, the, here's, here's the argument for having homegrown players in your team. It's meant to give you a psychological edge where your, your players perform out their skin mm -hmm. versus the opposition on the day. And we haven't seen that since Pellegrini's become captain. Like we've seen it from him. Mm -hmm. he's he's putting yes. out the skin yes and that, that that's the aspect that kind of was getting at maybe that he should be complimented yeah. is is because he has shown that but you're right yeah. he hasn't really brought that's it out right. of others but, but where, in the same way yeah exactly where's that translated to team results the results mm -hmm. are going out the window so yeah. it's you know there's, there's no psychological edge there for the team that's, yeah. that's 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 the problem yeah and you wonder who on the team would bring that out because I, I like Mancini has some leadership abilities, I think, but there are times where he turns off and you don't want that from your captain. Um, Cristante seems to have leadership abilities because he's been tab number two at this point in the captain, yeah. uh, you know, hierarchy, I guess, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't know who else anybody, and I would love to hear the, the listeners weigh in as who they would choose. Um, you know, who else him. does surprisingly? From, from uh, this is only because I've been listening to the games with uh, no commentary and pitch eyed mics on full volume lately. Paul Lopez, mm. he's this guy is constantly like his positivity is, is undying. Like, he could he could like go through the toughest moment and uh, like okay, but there was that Lazio game where like he let that get to him. But other than that, like this season is like the end of the run in here has been tough. And yeah. He's constantly talking to the players, constantly telling them like what they should do like not even not even in like a, a bitchy way he's literally saying like no, don't worry about it like just try this instead and yeah. they thank him for it and they say you're right like he's he's a leader but that he, true leadership aspect yeah yeah for he just doesn't have the skill to back it up but, and, yeah. and, and god bless him because he he's been through hell this year yes <laughs> and yes. he's still remaining positive which shows that and that's what that's the point you're bringing up i think is that 
the leadership ability is there a little bit. I, and I, wanna, I don't want to drag on too long because I know we're starting to run a little long. But yeah. speaking of Lopez, is he as bad as we made him out to be earlier in the season? I, I regret writing him off. I, I, I don't, but not on a footballing level. I just regret writing him off in terms of what he represents to the that you know that club spirit that we're, mm-hmm. that we're talking about. He's he's that in he's that in the flesh, you know. Uh, and I would not replace Palopas with just anyone. I'll be honest. Like if yeah. if, if if you offered me Cranio or Musso tomorrow, I'd want to know that they have that character that Lopez has. Yeah. yeah, I think it has to be a clear upgrade. Yeah. Uh, additionally in terms of skill because Lopez has, sh- has shown that he he can do it he's not world class by any means um, but I think he's starting to show why at one point when we we bought him he was in the Spain mix um, yeah. not as a starter but you know backing yeah. up to Haya he was I think the number three the number, keeper in the Spanish number two, point, number two yeah so he was yeah. up to number two so you know Spain is a good footballing you know national team so he, yeah. he must be doing something right because there's there's other players out there that I'm sure they could call up so um I'm curious to see where they go with the goalie. If they don't find a clear upgrade, is, is Lopez back again? And is, is how, how does Bren feel about that? Because we know how <laughs> Bren feels about Lopez. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I regret completely writing him off earlier in the year because he has proved to be at least competent. Um, yeah. He's not on the Olsen level right now. Yeah, He's no I, Allison, I but he's no Olsen either. Exactly. I regret it. And I, I apologize, pal, if you're listening. Obviously, you don't have time to listen to, yeah. to us, but, but I apologize if you're out there. Uh, yeah, we are at one one fifteen yeah. now. So and uh, we'll end it on a lighthearted question, Sean. Yeah. So this yeah. is from Michael, who's at MV Paul on Twitter, and he asked this kind of a lighthearted question. He said, "Will Fonseca's playoff beard be enough to get us through? It's the most he can do for us all." <laughs> I just hope he get, he's actually getting some sleep. He really looks like he's he's yeah. going to sleepless nights like now right now. So. I, I hope he's not driving himself to the early grave or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Roma manager is, I, I see this with uh, like the New York Yankees manager. We saw this with like Joe Girardi looked like he aged like 20 years in like the five years he was manager. <laughs> and we saw it with like Barack Obama when he was president of the United States. Like he came in yeah. like young and sprightly and he was like graying by the end. And this is, he's not the only one. I'm sure others uh, too. Um, and in other, you know, big time positions, we just see like the stress these guys go through. Um, yeah, he doesn't look as like dapper as he did early in the season. Um, kind of going with a little more of the, the scruff. And um, you, you missed yesterday where he, he really looked like he'd aged five years in one day. Yeah, I'm gonna so. have to look on the, the hopper where we do the stories to see like the pictures from yesterday just to see what he looked like. I want to see how the beard's progressing, but I have noticed less of a clean cut, um, Paulo Fonseca yes. lately. You know, the playoff beard sometimes work in hockey, maybe it'll get Roma through at Old Trafford. Um, Sean, so real quick, um, what is the most optimistic prediction you can make for Thursday? Honestly, a 1-0 Man United win is my optimistic prediction. What about you? I'll go slightly more optimistic, still a loss, but a 2-1 loss, so we get one away goal. Okay. Maybe yeah, Mkhitaryan hits news. on the counterattack. Yeah, that would be very good news. Um, um, any better also, than that, and I'll be overjoyed. Yeah, that would be a good result. Um, as just just let you guys know before Thursday we'll have some stuff on CDT this week in case you need some warm up for the game some nice light reading uh, we'll have Brent's United preview where he'll give the rundown on the Manchester United players what to expect who's going to start and you know who's going to be the individuals to to really mark out on the game and then we'll have uh, Casey De Totti collaborating with the Busby Babe uh, two SBN SB Nation sister websites doing a Q&A uh, they helped us out when we signed Chris Smalling. They gave us the, the run-through on what to expect from Smalling. 
Um, obviously, no one expected the, the great season he had last season, but it was nice to have that intro. And uh, we'll be touching base and crossing, crossing notes with them as well. So look forward to that this week on kzzotti.com. And bye for now. Bye.